And in chapter 4, we see the misusage of God. We learn that the Israel and the Philistines are at war. And if you know anything about Israel, they're always at war. And they're always at war with the Philistines. We read that Israel loses a battle against the Philistines. And in response, they make the decision to bring the Ark of the Covenant into their camp. And they do this because in 1 Samuel 4.3, it says that it may come among us and save us from our enemies. The Israelites bring the Ark into camp and everyone is rejoicing. Right? The Ark is with them. And, and they're rejoicing because they probably remember when Moses had the ark, and they went to war, and they, it brought victory to them. They probably, probably remember when the ark was with, was with Joshua, when the walls of Jericho had fallen. Certainly, if you bring the ark into the camp and you bring it at war, we will have victory. So they thought. See, in the world of competition, we usually try to have um, a good luck charm, right? Uh, maybe it's some sweaty old socks that have never been washed because you won that game and you just keep winning and you just keep winning. Maybe it's a, it's a piece of jewelry that your family had given you and you wear it all the time, whether it's a bracelet, a necklace, whatever it is. You know, the, the greatest basketball player to ever play the game, Michael Jordan, he wore his North Carolina University basketball practice shorts underneath his Chicago Bulls shorts. Did, did many of you guys know that? Uh, he, he did that to bring good luck. Right? Anything to get an edge over the competition. And, and, and this is what we see the, Isla, the Israelites are doing. They're bringing in the ark into the camp to get an edge over the competition. But the thing is, they misused God. They misused the ark. They placed their faith in the tangible and not in God. They thought it was the ark itself, the, the material that brought victory and not God. So a question I have for us this morning, one of the questions I have, is where do we place our salvation in? Now many of us grew up in the church, and we might have lost focus, just like the Israelites. Right? We might put our faith into going to church right, this morning. Right? When we die and we get to heaven and God says, why should I let you in? Well, I've been going to church my whole life. Well, I've done ministry in the church my whole life. You know, whenever there's a call, I accept it and I do it. I go to Wednesday night Bible study. I go to Sunday school. Or, or maybe we even have Christian relics like paintings and, and uh, necklaces and whatever it may be, right? We kind of put our trust in these tangible things rather than trusting in Christ for our salvation. We just kind of forgot what, that it was supposed to point us to God. See, the Israelites, they, they saw the ark and they remembered it brought the previous generation's victory. But it was not the ark itself, it was God. And since they did not trust in God, but misused God, God did not give them victory. So we see round one of Israel versus Philistines, and the Philistines come out on top. 
And then we see round two. This time they, they bring in the ark. They're all rejoicing. They, they go back to war with the Philistines. And they lose again. Philistines, 2-0. and But see, when they had conquered the Israelites the second time, this time they captured the ark and they brought it into Philistia. They brought it in there as a victory trophy. And we're going to read more about that in chapter 5 where we're going to stay most of our time. In chapter 5, in chapter 4, we see that they misused God. In chapter 5, we see that there is no other like God. So 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1, it says, When the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. Now see, Dagon is the Philistine god. It's, this, it's their idol that they worship. And the reason why the Philistines would bring the Ark of the Covenant into Dagon's temple was so it could be a victory piece for Dagon. Whenever nations go to war, it was, it's not just physical people at war. It was believed that there was a, a godly war going on as well, right? Gods versus, God versus God, right? And, and so they believed if one army won, then that God had won. So they believed that Dagon had beaten Jehovah. And so they bring the ark into the temple as a victory trophy. And, and so when we have this God versus God thing going on here, it's kind of like, well, I don't know if kids say this still today, but I remember back when I was in school, uh, we used to say, well, my dad could beat up your dad. Anybody? No? no? All right, I'm on my own. Right? Just if, you, if you're just talking, to, you know, with your friends, whatever, well, my dad's stronger. My dad could beat up your dad. Right? That's kind of what the whole thing, this idea was. It was the idea of, of whose God is stronger. But here's what we need to understand about this story. Though Israelite had lost, God always wins. God was punishing Israel for misplacing their faith in the ark, in the tangible, in the wood, in the metals, and not in God himself. And I think there was some sort of pride when they put the ark next to Dagon. Because in chapter 6, we, we learned that the Philistines, they know what happened in Egypt. You guys remember what happened in Egypt? Israel was in slavery. God put on plagues on them. Uh, freed them from slavery out of Egypt, opened the Red Sea to crush the Egyptian army. Right? They, the Philistines know what happened to, to the Egyptians. They know what happened to Jericho. They know what happened, well, how God had split the Jordan River. They know what Jehovah is, uh, can do. They know what he can do. So if they believe that Dagon beat that God... Wouldn't you want to put that right in the centerfold, right, where everyone else can see it? Right, you remember how Jehovah had, had brought Israel out of Egypt and put on the plagues and, and they kept getting victories? Well, <laughs> Dagon is better than that God. See, the ark is right there next to him, right in the center. But verse 3, the text continues the enemy thinks they have won, but God. And I love that about the Bible, right? But God. 
And we're going to see how big and bad Dagon really is. Verse 3. And when the people of Ashdod rose early that next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. So they, they put the ark next to Dagon, they go out for the day, and they, next morning, they go into the temple to probably do some worship. Dagon is on the floor. Who dares put our God Dagon on the floor? Or I can hear the murmur of the temple. Oh, right, who did this? Who did this? It says no one's going to confess or, or no one seems to know what happened. They just kind of brush it off. Well, maybe the cleaning lady knocked it over, right? She's, she's vacuuming and she had her AirPods on and she knocked it over, didn't hear it crash. So they just picked the, day, they just picked the idol back up and put him back. All right, we're all done. They do their worship, they leave. But we read that Dagon is before the ark. That Dagon is in a submissive position in front of the Lord. Dagon is in front of God, face down on his hands and knees. Right? The way I see this picture is the, the ark is next to Dagon, and I just kind of see like God's hand just knocking it over. Like, ha, ha. He can't. He's not at my level, right? And, and the Dagon idol is in front of God on his hands and his knees, submissive. Because there's no other like God. The people find Dagon in a manner of submission. And because the, when you put the ark in the, the temple, they believe that God was a prisoner of war. No. You're not leveled up to me. I'm not your prisoner. You did not beat me, Dagon. And verse 4 and 5, it says, But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. Right, so they, they pick up the idol, they put it back in its place. They do their thing, they go home next day. This time, this time Dagon is once again on the floor, but his head and his hands are cut off. God takes this to a whole another level. Dagon is not, only a is not only defeated, but he is now dead at the feet of God. I think of, this, of God as this conquering king, and his enemy is at his feet. This is your God? This is who you came in to worship this morning? You think this God, who is, who's headless and handless, you think he can step up to me? How pathetic. Now, while we read this story, at least I did, I questioned this, why the hands? Right? We, we kind of understand why the head, but why the hands? See, it was a common practice in the time to cut off the hands to show how many people were killed. 
It was to humiliate the enemy. I mean, God's, God had placed judgment on Dagon, humiliated him. He's trying to tell the Philistine people, this idol that you worship, he doesn't compare to me. He does, Dagon, the idol, does not compare to God, Jehovah. See, now the head and the hands of Dagon are the victory trophies of God. The ark was brought into the temple to be a victory trophy for Dagon, but God flips the idea on its head, and now Dagon is the victory, is the victory trophy. Once again, God has shown the Philistines that they only worship an idol, an image carved by man. And if God can strike down this idol, let me ask you, what idols in your life are you willing to ask God to cut down? God's not going to do anything within your heart unless you give him permission. We want to have that, we want, he wants us to want to say, Lord, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be number one. So, Lord, here's my sins. Here are the things that I've put in front of you. Cut them down. I don't want them number one in my life. I don't want to be a slave to these sins. God wants to transform your life for the better, only if you allow him to. And sometimes things can be number one in our lives, and it may not be sin. Maybe we put our marriages in our number one spot. Maybe our children, our grandchildren. Maybe we put our education in the number one spot. Or our, or, or our job, our work. Or our money. Different resources. Right? We might have placed other things in the number one spot, but the number one spot belongs to the Lord. We're all born prisoners of sin, but God says, I'll give you freedom. And God has the power over the idols in your life. You have to be willing to allow him to remove them from your life. Just to put your perspective back in place to say, you know what, you can love your life, you can love your children, you can love your job, but God has to be number one. What happened that day in the temple of Dagon, it scared the heebie-jeebies out of the Philistines so much that they didn't step back into that temple after the first A.D., Thousands of years after. Though God was finished with Dagon, God revealed that Dagon could not protect the Philistines and that God now goes after the Philistines. Now he goes after his people's enemies because he's always going to protect his own. See, we go through verses 6 through 10 and we see that the gloves are off. God had just filleted the fish god Dagon, and now the judgment of God is on the Philistine people. The people were afflicted with tumors, and we learn in chapter 6 that the boils and tumors are coming from the rats that God had plagued on them. Therefore, we can speculate that God had placed the bubonic plague among the Philistines. He is judging the people. And, and there's no guessing what's happening. They know Okay, the ark is bringing judgment. God is bringing judgment upon us. And they know this because why? They know what happened in Egypt. 
So they received this judgment, and Ashdod sent it to Gath, and Gath received the same punishment, so they gave it to Ekron. I mean, these, these cities in this, this country, Philistia, they're playing hot potato with the ark. I don't want it, you take it. I don't want it, you take it. I don't want it, you take it. Right? They don't want the, 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 the plagues to be upon them. Right? We learn in chapter 6 that it took the Philistines seven months, seven months to finally give up the ark. I mean, they're playing hot potato with the ark for seven months. That's a long time. Right? Matthew Henry writes this that makes a point about why the Philistines held on to the ark for so long. He says, sinners lengthen out their own miseries by refusing to part with their sins. Sinners lengthen out their own miseries by refusing to part with their sins. Anywhere has ever gone water tubing? Tubing? Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's when you sit on the tube and the, water's pull, the boat's pulling you. Anybody goes water skiing? Do you have any water skiers out there? Okay. Right, when you're water skiing, you hold on to the rope or the, the bar thing and the rope pulls, right, and the boat pulls you and you, and you're going, you're having fun, the boat's going fast, and you, you're jumping waves, right? There's not much you could do on a tube, right? You might hold on to the handle, you might stand up like this, stick a leg out, say hello to people. Uh, with the water skiing, you could do a little bit more, right? Maybe you could do a little dance, wave to people, uh, you know, do that little turnaround thing, Right? I, I've never gone water skiing, but I've seen videos, pictures of people doing fun things on water skis. But whether you've gone water skiing or tubing, there's one rule that you have to follow. That when you fall, right, if you hit that wave too hard, or when you turn and you fall, and you're holding on to that rope, you're holding on to that tube, what's the one rule you have to follow? follow? Let go. Because what happens? It drags you down. You see, the more we hold on to the sins and the idols in our lives, it's just going to drag us down until we're dead. And God wants us to release, he wants us to release the idols, release the sins, so that we can come out of death and into life in his son, Jesus Christ. There should be no other gods in our life because there is no other like Jehovah. There is no God like the God of the Israelites. There is no other God like the God of the Bible. The Philistines are learning and understanding the truth that is found in chapter 5. There is no other like God. We go on in chapter 6. and We see two responses to God. The first response we see is from the Philistines. They give a guilt offering and they give glory to God. And in the beginning of the story, the Philistines say God was, was a, a puny weakling. He was no match for Dagon. But they have witnessed firsthand how real, how mighty, how strong God really is. Now we see the Philistines, now we see the Philistines they, they, now they, their tails are tucked in, they go to the local UPS store, and they want to ship the ark back with same-day shipping. They no longer want the ark. And we read in verses 4 and 5 that they must build statues representing tumors and mice, 
and ultimately they must give God the glory. They gave God, they gave glory to God. Why? Because God is always, 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 always going to get the glory. No matter, every time we read a story in the Old Testament or the New Testament, whenever we read a story, we see, man, what's going to happen? God's going to get the glory. Whatever story you hear in people's lives about how their lives are roller coasters, most of the time they're going to say, but God gets the glory because he always receives the glory. See, if Israel had won back in chapter 4, Israel would not have taken, Israel would have taken glory for themselves. And we had seen Dagon receive glory for conquering God, but God shut the mouths as fast as they opened it. But now we see unbelievers give glory to God. See, I don't know where you are in your faith. Maybe you don't have faith right now. But know this. Ephesians 2, 10 and 11 says this. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those in heaven and those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of, the, of God the Father. You're going to bow. Whether you want to or not. So wouldn't you rather bow down to God willingly and in praise rather than being forced to do so? Because you're going to bow. And we saw Dagon was going to bow. The Philistines were going to bow. So now we see that these images of tumors and mice onto a cart, they have placed these images on the cart, and next to these images will be a box with the ark inside of it. And they have to bring in two milking cows who have never pulled a cart before, leave the baby cows in the pasture, and send the cows toward Beth Shemesh. All right, so, so the, they're given instructions on how to return the ark back to Israel. First thing we see is uh, they have to get two unyoked cows. Now, what it means to be unyoked means they've never pulled a wagon before. Not just one of them, but two of them, right? So what should happen if you put two unyoked cows together on a cart, they should be wanting to go two separate ways, right? They want to go right, one wants to go left. So, so the odds of them going to Israel has, you know, the odds of it has lowered. But they're milking cows, which means as, lovely, as loving mothers, they want to feed their babies. So even if they don't go right and left and go nowhere, they might work together to go to their babies where they can hear them crying, Mommy, feed me, right? So, so now the odds have gone even lower for, the, for these unyoked mother cows to go to Israel. But what do we see? They bring the guilt offering and the ark straight to Beth Shemesh. There were no pit stops. There were no detours. God guided the, God, the cows straight back to Israel. And this showed the Philistines that God was real. And when the people of Beth Shemesh saw the ark, they rejoiced. They took the ark and they placed it on a rock. They offered the guilt sacrifice and things went back to normal for the cities in Philistia. That's the end of the story, right? No. It continues. Verse 19. 
And he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. They struck 70 men of them, and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with such a great blow. What just happened? Other things were going back to normal. See, Israel, they're still stuck in chapter 4. They still have no admiration for God. They just take the ark and put it in the rock. Just the ark. It's just God's manifestation with us. They were insensitive to who God is. And they're insensitive because they worship many different idols at this time, not just God. Right? They were looking at the ark for far too long. They forgot what, they forgot what the ark represented. Because you remember where the ark was supposed to go? It's supposed to go in the temple. The tabernacle. And it's supposed to go in the far back. In the Holy of Holies. Behind a thick curtain. Right? Away from people. Why? Because unholy people cannot place their eyes on a holy God. The attitude of Israel toward the ark had not changed. In chapter 4, they used the ark as a lucky rabbit's foot. And while the ark was in Philistia, not once did we ever read them coming together to march against the Philistines to bring it back. I didn't read it. Did you read it? I might have missed it. No. Eh. Now the Philistines have it. They were, now we see they, that they too, just like the Philistines once did, had no admiration for God. They were spiritually insensitive. Israel had forgotten who exactly was God because of their false idol worshiping. They had placed God among the false gods they worshiped. Right? People ask today, well, how do we know Christianity is true? I mean, you have Jesus, you have God, but we have uh, Muhammad, and we have Allah, we have Krishna, and we have the Hindu religion with all their gods. How do we know Jesus is true if we have all these other gods? Right? You can just, you can just toss Jesus in the mix. They can all just coexist. No. God says he is the one and only true God. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life, the only true God. And no other idols can get on Jesus' love. Jesus, there is no other like God. And we must worship God just as such. In chapter 6, we see two responses to God. We see worship from the unbeliever because they've experienced the power of God. And we see the insensitivity from believers because they replaced God as number one. However, we see in chapter 7, we see a revitalization, a revitalizing response to God. Because Beth Shemesh was afraid of the ark, they sent it to Kirith Jerim. Again, hot potato. Where it would stay for 20 years. Even after the power of God was revealed to Israel after they killed the 70 men, they still did not worship God as one and true. After 20 years of worshiping false idols, Samuel called the people to return to the Lord, to remove the idols and commit and serve only God. And what was Israel's response? 
they eventually bowed their knee and gave glory to God alone. In verses 5 through 11 in chapter 7, <coughs> we read, Samuel calls all of Israel to, place, to a place for prayer and fasting. The Philistines have heard that the Israelites were all together in one place, so they marched against Israel. And when Israel heard this, they cried to Samuel to call out to God for protection. No longer is it bring the ark, bring the tangible, bring the, the lucky rabbit's foot. It's we're calling out God. We're calling out for God to come and help us. So Samuel gave an offering, and when the Philistines were close to attack, God miraculously saved the Israelites by confusing the Philistines with great lightning and thunder. And Israel took advantage of God's work, and they defeated the Philistine army. We see in this passage that one party learned their lesson, and the other did not. So let's compare the before and after. Both armies are the same, and now we see round three of Israel and the Philistines. See, in, round, in chapter 4, we see Israel fighting against the Philistines without God, and Israel loses. In chapter 7, Israel doesn't move without God. They first make sure they are right with God by confessing their sins and offering a burnt offering. In chapter 4, we see and the, the Israelites bring the ark, trusting in the material rather than God himself. They place their faith in the lucky foot. But in chapter 7, they trust in God and God alone. And God alone will help them. In chapter 4, Israel loses by their own might. In chapter 7, Israel wins because God intervenes. Israel learned they are nothing without God. And Philistines learn nothing, or at least they are reminded that Israel's God is the one true God. See, Jesus tells us that we cannot do anything if we are not part of his vine. To remain in the vine, we must uphold the first commandment, that there should be no other God except for Christ. We need to remove the idols in our lives and take God serious. If we want victory in this life and over sin and death, then we need to trust in Jesus. Jesus needs to be number one in our lives. And for some of us, we may need a chapter 7 experience. We might be thinking, yeah, I believe, but the way of the world has covered my eyes to God's glory, to his love, to his mercy, to his grace. I was really, I was really on fire for the Lord. Right when I became a Christian, I was on fire. I did everything he had called me to. But after time, the fire just died. And if you're feeling that today, revitalize your faith in worship and response. Ask God to relight the fire you once had. Ask God for forgiveness for placing all the things you have put in front of him. It's not too late. It's not too late to believe Jesus as your Savior. And it's not too late to ask God to revitalize your spirit. Because, because as long as you have lungs in your breath, breath in your lungs, it's not too late. So as we conclude, let us be reminded this week that God is above any, God, above any idol that we may hold in our lives. 
And God has directed us to cast away those idols. So as we go out this week and and the rest of our days, we need to remember that the number one spot in our lives is reserved for God and not God and fill in the blank, but God alone. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the story of of the ark being among the Philistine people where we learn that we should not take you lightly. Where we learn that there is no idol like you. There is no God like you. That you are one and only true God. And that we can place our faith in you for salvation. Lord, as we go out this week, let us be reminded of who we are in you that you have our back. Lord, when we feel down, let us remember that you fight our battles and that we can trust in you and you alone. Lord, I ask all these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.